Contested three, late shot clock not there. Offensive rebound, put back, flush attempt, no good by McLemore. The other way, it's Barrett all alone on the reverse slam. That one's gonna show up on SportsCenter. Heads up play by Bolden, tipping the ball out to lead the break. 10-0 Duke run, Barrett with an exclamation point on this one. Duke basketball with another top 10 victory. They take down Auburn 78-72 last night in Maui to reach the Maui Invite Championship game this evening, which, by the way, can be heard here on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app, as well as all of the ESPN Network radio stations. Tanner Hoops with you Wednesday afternoon. The Sports Pen, glad that you're with us. Our last one before the holiday break. Several of you probably on your way to visit family and friends, spend Thanksgiving with them. The rest of you maybe just getting off work, heading home. How productive was work today? Yeah, we all pretended to care today that we were coming to the office. We all pretended we weren't mentally checked out already. But we're all looking ahead to the Thanksgiving coma that we're going to be in about 24 hours from now. Football, food, all the fixings coming up tomorrow. Thanksgiving is back. We've got several stories that are making news, ranging from Aaron Rodgers, James Wiseman, the Larry Nasser case, Ryan Tannehill, Mitch Trubisky, the college football playoff rankings. All kinds of sporting news has happened over the last 24 hours. We dissect it all over the next hour right here on the Sports Pen. By the way, quick programming update. The Ohio State-Michigan football game, that will be carried right here on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app this Saturday. 11 o'clock kickoff, a spot in the Big Ten Championship, and potentially the college football playoff on the line. Two teams that really don't like each other. Doesn't get much bigger, especially up here in the great state of Michigan. That game can be heard for free, the ESPN radio broadcast for free, here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Be sure to tune in. But let's start with Aaron Rodgers. It's no secret what's been happening out in California. Wildfires are raging through, damaging California. It's caused damage, displacement, death. It's been terrible, what's been going on out in California. Aaron Rodgers posted a video on Twitter today saying that he is pledging $1 million in donation to help fight the wildfires raging through California. He's a native, California native. He went to Cal, played his college football there. And he's pledging a million dollars to help the terrible tragedy going on in his state. Really cool moment on Monday night. The Rams-Chiefs football game. That, of course, being the headline topic. But the underlying story, which wrongfully has gotten largely overlooked, was what the players did to help those affected by the wildfires in California. With the venue being changed on short notice, the Rams offered free admission to those who were displaced or evacuated from their homes as a result of the tragedy. For a while, they could escape, and they could be entertained by one of the greatest football games we've seen in recent memory. The players wore first responder hats and gear on the sidelines, honoring the Los Angeles Fire Department, among others. Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, the two quarterbacks in that game, both donated their jerseys, and those are up for auction. 100% of the proceeds are going to help fight the forest fires raging through the state of California. The NFL profits nothing from those jersey sales, and those two quarterbacks, both of them very young in their early to mid-20s, well matured beyond their years and doing something to help a community that is coming together in a tough time. And Aaron Rodgers is doing the same thing as he gives back to his native state. You can make stereotypes about athletes and what they have as far as their money, that athletes are overpaid, that they're greedy, they'll hold out for contracts, what have you. And it's really good to see these players challenge that narrative. These players do something like what they're doing and show people that that's not what the majority of athletes are. Athletes are people who give back to their community. They inspire young kids. They set, most of the time, good examples. And it's a really uplifting, a very good story to see that you get moments like this out of a terrible tragedy. 
So kudos to Aaron Rodgers. Again, that video is on his Twitter page. It was shared earlier today. We've shared it on the ESPN UP Twitter page. If you want to go take a look at that, find out ways that you can help as well. Really good, uplifting story as we get into the holiday season. We're reminded of what we're thankful for. Let's get to the injury report around the NFL. Ryan Tannehill is set to come back for the Miami Dolphins this weekend when they take on the Colts. They've been missing him. Tannehill's one of those guys I feel that we're never going to get to know how good he really is. He reminds me a lot of Matthew Stafford. Those two guys, I believe, I don't know if it's the system they're in, the team they're on, the personnel they're surrounded with, including the coaching, but I don't know that we've ever seen those two play at their highest level in the NFL. Both those guys were excellent coming out of college. Tannehill, of course, at Texas A&M. Stafford from Georgia. Good football programs, and they were great college players. Expectations were put on them in the NFL. I don't know that they were superstar expectations, but there were expectations put on them. And I don't know that either of them have played to the full potential that they're capable of. I wouldn't say they haven't met expectations. They've both been excellent quarterbacks in the NFL. But have they been as good as they can be? It makes you sad in a lot of ways. Kind of like Aaron Rodgers in his situation. He's way too good of a quarterback to only have one Super Bowl ring. I don't know what the cause of that is. I have my own thoughts on it. I'm sure you do too. But doesn't it make you sad that we have potential wasted talent, or at least talent that maybe has potential that's never been achieved? or never will be achieved. That's the feeling that I get from guys like Matthew Stafford and Ryan Tannehill. Did a segment on that a few weeks ago. The top talents that were wasted through their prime during their NFL careers. It just makes me sad. I don't know if it makes you sad, if it makes a Packer fan sad listening that Matthew Stafford maybe hasn't achieved his full potential. But to me, no matter what team the guy plays for, I hate seeing a guy that never lives up to what he could, never achieves his max at any level, at anything that transcends beyond athletics. I almost get that vibe from Ryan Tannehill. And his part, he can't stay healthy. I don't pin that as much on his coaching as I do Matthew Stafford's. Tannehill just can't stay healthy. And Brock Osweiler's tried his darndest. It's a miracle that Miami's 5-5 five and five as they are right now. At one point this season, they have missed an entire starting offense, an entire 11-man starting offense due to injury. That's unreal. Think about how unique and insane that is. At one point in time this season, the Dolphins have missed an entire starting 11 due to injury. Let's go through it one by one. Tannehill, of course, has missed significant time at the quarterback position. Kenyon Drake, uh, the running back, he left early in the last game. How about the wide receiver position? Wilson, injured reserve. Grant, injured reserve. Parker, he's out week to week. Gray, the tight end, injured reserve. What about the offensive line? They've been decimated there. Left tackle, Tunsil, he missed the Green Bay game. The left guard, Sitton, he's on injured reserve. The center, Kilgore, is on injured reserve. And then the whole right side of the line, Larson and James, both missed the Green Bay game. The Dolphins were without an entire starting 11 at some point this season on offense. And they're still 5-5. Five and five, And they still have a chance to make the postseason. Now, I think the four teams who are leading the divisions right now in the AFC are going to continue to hold those spots. They're going to maintain their leads in the AFC. So New England, Pittsburgh, Houston, Kansas City. Those are my picks for the division winners. I don't think that will change in the next six weeks by the time the regular season ends. But then things get jumbled when you look at the wildcard spot. LA is going to make it as a top wildcard team. They're going to be the five seed. They're seven and three. And right now they have a two and a half game lead over the next team in the wildcard standings behind them. And who is that team? Well, it's a whole mess of them. You have got a five-way tie between teams at five and five fighting for that last wildcard spot. Baltimore, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Tennessee, and of course Miami. Then Denver, only one game behind them at four and six. Cleveland is a half game behind Denver. They're sitting at three, six, and one. 
Isn't that weird? The Browns, this late in the season, they still have a chance at making the playoffs. The AFC is wide open. As far as those teams still trying to get off the bubble, get into the postseason, it's wide open. And nothing more will be decided tomorrow. All three games involve six NFC teams on Thanksgiving. So we're going to have to wait till later this week to really see if anything is going to be decided in the AFC this week, if anything becomes a little more clear. Right now, I think we have five locks for the AFC playoffs. The aforementioned teams that are leading their division plus LA, but that sixth spot, that's exactly why they call it the wild card, because anything can happen, and it's going to be dangerous. Looking through the injury report as well, Mitch Trubisky, speaking of Thursday football, is he going to play tomorrow or what? He's my fantasy quarterback. I need to know if Mitch Trubisky is going to be playing tomorrow. I think I have him in two leagues. I think he only starts in one of them, though. Regardless, tomorrow is a must-win for the Lions. Every game down the stretch will be a must-win for Detroit if they want to make the playoffs. They got decimated by this Bears offense when they played them just a couple of weeks ago. But if Chase Daniel makes his first start since 2014, things could look a whole lot different this time around. Lions and Bears tomorrow, 12:30. Looking forward to that game. I know a number of you are as well. I'll mention my fantasy team. I'll tell you what kind of situation I'm in as far as my quarterbacks. I've got one league where I'm running the table and then two where I'm below 500. What changes do I need to make on fantasy? What changes do you need to make as well? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with you Wednesday afternoon. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only to Jibba Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Well, I mentioned before the break the fantasy football situation that I'm in. I'm sure a number of you have struggled with your fantasy teams as well. Right now, I'm struggling trying to figure out if I should play Mitch Trubisky or not for tomorrow's game against Detroit. He has been listed with a shoulder sprain, and he's still questionable. But it's looking more and more likely that Chase Daniel could be making his first start since the 2014 season, tomorrow against the Detroit Lions at the 12:30 game on Thanksgiving. So let's talk fantasy football just for a little bit. My situation is that I'm in three leagues. One of them, I'm 8-3, and three, running the table, first place, and the weird thing is, I drafted Patrick Mahomes in like the eighth round of that draft and traded him away in the preseason. But as president of football operations, I can't fire myself because I'm 8-3. and three. So we're sitting pretty good. I'm also not firing myself because George Kittle was one of the steals of that draft. Who would be my most valuable player? Could be Kareem Hunt. Could be Christian McCaffrey. Those two have both been pretty good at the running back position this year. Got them both on one team, a large reason why I'm 8-3. and three. But then you look at my other two leagues. Now, I've made a few questionable decisions before. I'm known in my leagues as the guy who does the risky thing, which is weird because in real life, I'm not necessarily a risky guy. But in fantasy football, I'm somebody different. And I did that with Patrick Mahomes. Maybe didn't come back to hurt me as much in one league because we're still 8-3 and three, even though traded him away. Probably lost that trade. But nonetheless, I'm asking for advice from our listeners on what I need to do with one of my fantasy football teams. I'm in a league with the baseball team from my alma mater back in Iowa. All of us still keep in touch. We're still in a fantasy football league. I've dropped to 5-6 and six this week in that league. And largely, it is because of who I have at the quarterback position. I bought into the Fitzmagic. I went after Ryan Fitzpatrick. I got him, and he has been so up and down. I don't think he's going to be back. So I decided to pick up Marcus Mariota this week. I figured Mariota's a guy whose offensive line lets him down. They're coming off a big win over the Patriots. They're playing the Colts. Colts blitz less than anybody in the league. He's going to have a nice, clean pocket to sit there and throw in. Sounded foolproof. Who would have thought they would have come out and got thumped 38-10? to 10? 
So this is the situation that I'm in, where my fantasy quarterbacks are Marcus Mariota and Ryan Fitzpatrick on a losing team, but I have a surplus of talent at the other skilled positions. I've got both the Patriot running backs, Sony Michelle and James White. They're backed up by Doug Martin, but he doesn't have to play. Patriots don't have another bye. And then the wide receiver position, Emmanuel Sanders, Larry Fitzgerald, Danny Amendola, Amari Cooper, and Demarius Thomas. Plus Travis Kelsey is the tight end. So I'm trying to put together some kind of package that would be good enough to get at least a capable quarterback because right now, the receivers I have on the bench not doing anything, Cooper, Thomas, Amendola, plus the Titans defense, which can be good some weeks. I've gone to uh, starting to pick up the defense for whoever's playing the Cardinals that week. And that's who I start. This week is the Chargers, so I have them in my fantasy lineup. But right now I'm trying to put together a package for those three wide receivers to get a somewhat capable quarterback. So I offered a trade to one of the guys in my league. He has Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger. I figure you don't need both of them. You've got some chump at wide receiver. Let me give you Amari Cooper, Demarius Thomas, and Danny Amendola. You give me Roethlisberger. He wouldn't do it. So now my other trade offer that I've sent out, and I'm still waiting to hear back on this one, Amendola, Cooper, Demarius Thomas, and the Titans defense, which again can be good some weeks, for Jared Goff. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, well, the Ben Roethlisberger deal would have made more sense. There's no way they're going to do it for Jared Goff. Well, he has a bunch of chumps at his wide receiver position as well. And his other quarterback is Drew Brees. He doesn't need both Brees and Goff. I'm trying to help him out by giving him a little depth at the wideout position. I've got way too many good players on my bench, good wide receivers. I need a quarterback because right now, best case scenario is I pick up Andy Dalton and hope that he puts up about 20 points on the Browns this weekend. That's where I'm at. If you have suggestions, what moves should I be making? What should I be doing as head coach, GM, president of football operations? Suggestions are always welcome. I'd like to say the name of my team. It's not one of the seven words. It has nothing to do with the seven words that you can't say on air. I think there's still only seven. It's funny and clever. I'm proud of it, but not proud enough that I want to stick it out there over the airwaves. And speaking of building teams, go to our Twitter if you haven't already, at ESPNUP. We invite you to check out what we have up on the poll. I wanted to find out which young quarterback would our listeners build their team around if they could. The options, we had two different polls because you can only give four options per poll. So two different polls. We're going to match up the winners later on. One option is Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Baker Mayfield. Right now, Mahomes has about two-thirds of the vote. He's running away with it. It's not even close. The other poll, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, and Dak Prescott. Of those eight quarterbacks, who would you most like to build a team around if you could play GM? Again, if you haven't, vote in our Twitter poll. We're going to match up the two winners from each poll and see who our listeners would like to build their team around. Other poll... Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky are far and away outpacing Sam Darnold and Dak Prescott. We could have thrown a few other guys up there if we really wanted to. Could have put Lamar Jackson or Jameis Winston, some guys that are looking like they're going to be futures for some team. But why? I mean, those guys are certainly not in the top eight of young quarterbacks. You really want to build your team around. And some of these responses, I'm not sure that the guys that are in the poll right now Our guys, our listeners, want to build their team around. Baker Mayfield's not doing well. Sam Darnold's not doing well. Dak Prescott's not. There's a lot of fans of Mahomes, Goff, Trubisky, and Watson in our listening area. Well, how about this? Let's take a look on this day in sports history. 1905, the first ever game was played at the Australian Open. Happy birthday to the Aussie Open. It turns 113 today. 1934, the Yankees purchased the contract of Joe DiMaggio from the Pacific Coast League San Francisco Seals. And then on this day in 1971, the New York Rangers score an NHL record eight goals in a single period. All of that on this day in sports history. How about some birthdays around the sporting world today? 
Stan Musial, seven-time batting champion, was born on this day in 1920. He would have turned 98 today. 1955, Cedric Maxwell was born. He turned 63 today, 11-year NBA career, two-time champion with the Boston Celtics. He's since become a radio broadcaster. 1966, Troy Aikman, happy 52nd birthday. Three years later, Ken Griffey Jr. celebrated his birthday. It's his 49th today. Michael Strahan, born on this day in 1971. Boxer David Tua, a year later in 1972. Alex Tenge turns 39 today. The NHLer was born in 1979. And Hank Blaylock turns 38 today. Former Major League Baseball third baseman. All those are celebrating birthdays. Happy birthday from those of us here at ESPN-UP. Hope you're having a very happy pre-Thanksgiving as well. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. And once again, hope that you're spending your evening and your weekend with your loved ones, that you're going to have a great, great holiday. Stay safe out there. Enjoy it. Remember to be thankful. Well, we near the bottom of the hour. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll break down the college football playoff rankings. Second edition came out last night. No change in the top eight. But what will it look like two weeks from now? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you on this Wednesday afternoon. We get to the second half of our show. Now the name Hardaway, still very special to those who follow Wolverine basketball. And Penny Hardaway Sr. with a big get yesterday, James Wiseman, the top recruit in the 2019 high school basketball class, committed to play for his high school coach at the University of Memphis. He made the decision over schools such as Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Big guy, seven feet tall. I don't know how he wasn't on Duke's radar the other way around, but either or, James Wiseman is a Tiger. A more developed on the Michigan State Larry Nasser case, former school president Luana Simon has been charged with lying to the police. If convicted, she could face up to four years in prison. And a reminder of what we have coming up on Saturday. I know we have a national holiday tomorrow. The game is going to be treated as a national holiday in itself. And by the game... I mean the game, as it's been known since the 1800s, Michigan and Ohio State. Winner goes to the Big Ten Championship, representing the Big Ten East to take on Northwestern, and possibly a college football playoff berth is on the line. That game can be heard here on ESPN-UP. You can get the free ESPN broadcast on the ESPN-UP mobile app. You can hear that coming up at 11 o'clock on Saturday. Hope that you are tuned in for it. It should be a great game. Michigan, with one loss, is potentially eight quarters away from getting into the college football playoff. They've got to go to Columbus and beat Ohio State, though. They haven't beat the Buckeyes in their last six meetings. Well, last night we had the latest edition of the college football playoff rankings. They were released. Not a whole lot of surprises when you look up and down the list. We'll go through them for you in case you missed it. Alabama remains the number one team in the land. Clemson, number two. A lot of people seem to think those two are in a category by themselves, and they very well could be right. Alabama and Clemson, both 11-0, are 1-2. Notre Dame's also 11-0. They hold at number three. Michigan, with their one loss being to Notre Dame back in the first week of the season, is number four. So those four teams right now are in position to play for the college football playoff and the national title two weeks from now at least when the regular season ends. The five and six teams, Georgia and Oklahoma respectively, LSU, Washington State, Central Florida jumps Ohio State to round out the top ten. That's what we're looking at as far as the college football playoff. Top eight do not change. Central Florida jumps Ohio State. Four unbeaten teams left. They're all in the top nine. Here's what the committee did right, and here's what they did wrong. Top five they got correct. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, Georgia in that order. Georgia fans can make the argument that they are better than Michigan. You know that those fans are making that argument right now. They'll have their chance to play into the college football playoff. They will get their chance against Alabama. I don't know if Georgia's better than Michigan, but Georgia has the chance for a better win down the stretch, which might be enough to put them over top of Michigan. I don't know if that knocks Michigan out, 
But one way or another, in all likelihood, if Georgia wins the SEC, they will likely finish ahead of Michigan in the rankings. I don't like Oklahoma being at number six. I don't know that I like LSU behind Oklahoma, to be honest with you. If it were up to me, I would have kept LSU at number seven. That's where the committee put them. But I would have flipped Oklahoma and Washington State. To me, Washington State has answered the questions. We wondered if they were for real. They've got that one loss, a controversial loss to USC, which again, they're below 500. They are in turmoil with rumors swirling regarding Clay Helton's future as head coach. But Washington State is a more complete team than Oklahoma for sure. They can score with the best of them. So can Oklahoma. But the Cougars have a better defense than the Sooners. I'd put them at number six. LSU, I still put behind Washington State. They hold at number seven. Oklahoma's number eight. And then you have Central Florida jumping Ohio State. Central Florida, the fourth unbeaten team in college football. They're 10-0. and And Ohio State just did not look very good in their victory over Maryland, which they had to survive. Central Florida with a really good win this weekend as they thump a top-20 Cincinnati team. So they talked a little bit about this last night after the poll was released. There were four unbeaten teams left in college football at this time last year. There are four unbeatens left in college football right now. And two of those teams make both lists, Alabama and Central Florida. Last year at this time, Alabama and Miami were the top two teams in college football. They were both undefeated. Wisconsin, an undefeated team, they were ranked fifth, and then Central Florida was in 15th. This season, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame are the top three. They're three of the four unbeaten. Central Florida, still the lowest of the unbeaten. Strength of schedule factoring into that in a big way. They come in at number nine. Alabama did suffer a loss last year. But they ended up running the table, coming back and sneaking into the college football playoff, maybe a little controversially, but they end up winning it all and prove that the committee got it right. Miami fell from grace in a big way around this time last year, and they're still falling. The U puts the U in tumble. Wisconsin, they were just outside the top four at this point last season, but they're in a similar situation as Georgia, where they could have controlled their own destiny regardless of not being in playoff position at this time. They had their opportunities, maybe get a big enough win to get off the bubble, and they couldn't do it. Central Florida, they were the only team that won out last year. Granted, they played quite a bit of cupcakes until the bowl game against Auburn. That was a great win. And that's where the momentum started building for the Knights, that they want recognition. And do the Knights deserve that recognition? Absolutely. But do they deserve to be a top four team this year? No. No, they're just not one of the best four teams in college football. And that's always going to be a problem with a four-team playoff. We'll never get to truly know how good those mid-majors really are. But the point is to get the best four teams in the college football playoff playing for the title. That win streak's not an argument, by the way. It's not an argument for Central Florida. It's something you respect, that they've won 23 straight games. They survived a coaching change. But I care about what they've done this season. That's what the committee cares about, and that's what people should care about. And again, they're unblemished this season. They got a really good win on Saturday against Cincinnati after struggling against Temple a couple of weeks ago. But I don't believe they could go toe-to-toe with any of the five teams in the playoff rankings right now. They would not beat Alabama, they wouldn't beat Clemson, they wouldn't beat Notre Dame, they wouldn't beat Michigan, they would not beat Georgia. It'd be fun to see them match up with Oklahoma, I'd love that. Josh Heupel, a former Sooner. I'd like to see them go against Washington State. LSU, I feel, would pose a really tough matchup for UCF. Regardless, as far as playing for the national title, UCF does not control their own destiny. The other three unbeatens do. Notre Dame is essentially... In a quarterfinal, they win this weekend, they're in. They're 60 minutes away from getting to the college football playoff. That's what Brian Kelly's going to be telling his guys in the locker room of the L.A. Coliseum where we just retreated to one of the best Monday night football games ever. Notre Dame is going to get in with a victory. And putting my personal bias aside, that's the way it should be. You can say what you want about Notre Dame's schedule, but they've run the table thus far, and they picked up quality wins along the way. Four 
of their 11 wins thus far have come against teams ranked 4th, 19th, 20th, and 24th. Alabama and Clemson have combined for wins over 7, 18, 20, and 22 in the current college football rankings. Well, it certainly hasn't come easy for Notre Dame this year. They've struggled in games they shouldn't have. Games like Vanderbilt, Pittsburgh, but then they've looked really good in more recent games against tougher competition. Teams like Northwestern, who's a top 20 team. Syracuse, ranked 12th at the time when they played Saturday at Yankee Stadium. Syracuse dropping eight spots to number 20. Nonetheless, people aren't sold on the Fighting Irish just yet. Just ask Peter Burns of the SEC Network. If you're Clemson, if you're Bama, and you're going to be one of these college football playoff teams, you are absolutely praying that Notre Dame is in the college football playoff because it's a bye. It's an absolute easy victory because Brian Kelly can is going to struggle with Ian Book going forward as far as taking that next level that needs to be if you're going to win a championship. Peter Burns did that interview for the SEC Network last month. Does not believe Notre Dame is a legit contender. Well, Ian Book started this season on the bench, took over the starting job, hasn't relinquished it, did miss the Florida State game due to a rib injury. Brandon Wimbush led the team, and they looked really good that night. An onslaught over a Florida State team that, again, very bad, one of their worst teams in decades. But nonetheless, the Irish looked good, and they won the way they needed to. Burns went on to make his case by saying that teams would get film on Ian Book, and his run wouldn't last more than a couple of weeks. We're going into the final week of the regular season, and Notre Dame is in college football playoff position. 60 minutes away, four quarters. Ian Book, the most accurate passer in the country, percentage-wise. And he was on the bench. Won him a bowl game last year. Had some tape against a strong LSU defense. They're getting tape on him. And they're finding out that there's more to Ian Book than meets the eye. There's a run game to him. And it's deceptive because he looks like the stereotypical pocket passer. But he moves well. Moves the football well, makes good decisions. The only game that he really struggled was against Pitt. And give credit to that coaching staff. They had a fantastic game plan against him. But Ian Book is giving us no reason to think he can't lead Notre Dame to the college football playoff. I don't know who's going to get by Alabama this year, who gets them in the first round. But if Notre Dame matches up with Clemson in the 2-3 matchup, no reason why the Irish can't win that game. Not a knock against Clemson. Give them a ton of credit. They deserve it. But Notre Dame is potentially eight quarters away from playing for a national championship. Like it or not, it's the reality. It's time to accept Notre Dame's for real. Brian Kelly can, is going to struggle with Ian Book going forward as far as taking that next level that needs to be if you're going to win a championship. That part's my favorite. Brian Kelly's going to struggle with Ian Book. He's going to struggle with the most accurate passer in college football. He's not capable of getting the team in position to win a championship. Well, eat your words, soundbite. They're 60 minutes away from clinching a spot in the college football Final Four. Say it again, soundbite. Brian Kelly can, is going to struggle with Ian Book going forward as far as taking that next level that needs to be if you're going to win a championship. I'd politely tell you to eat those words, Mr. Burns, but you're just a soundbite. Coming up, we'll talk franchise NFL quarterbacks. If you haven't already, vote in our Twitter poll at ESPNUP. Which young quarterback would you most like to build your team around? Two polls, eight different quarterbacks to choose from. After the break, we're going to be doing some pro football quarterback rankings using the college football playoff algorithm. That's next in the Sports Pen, ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Rockets and Orioles, video review, and saying thank you. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. The last time the Morris Orioles and Rapid River Rockets visited the big stage together, the two teams combined to produce fireworks on a girls' basketball court of the likes we've rarely seen, a roller coaster emotion-packed battle in 1998 for the Class D title, which produced an overtime win for Morris. But last Saturday produced glory days for both Morris and Rapid River on the floor of the Superior Dome in Marquette at the MHSAA 8-player football finals. 
Hunter Nowak rushed for nearly 200 yards and three touchdowns to lead the Orioles to a 44-16 Division I win over Pickford to cap a perfect 13-0 season, and the Rockets hoisted their first gridiron trophy in three final appearances, defeating Onekama 30-18 in Division II. It was the quickness of Morris that carried the day against the bigger Pickford Panther squad. Once we started the game, we started gaining a little bit of momentum. We could see some of our run plays were working better than what we thought they were. We were moving the bigger men on the other, on the other team. We moved them. Hunter just made the lanes work in Austin, and uh, Connor was blocking. The plays work. When you design them and they work in the game, it is, it is fun to watch. Coach Kendall Crockett took over the Morris program five years ago when the Orioles went to the eight-player format. Rapid River won its game with the Portagers with ball control, holding on to the pigskin for over 33 minutes. Junior Tyler Sunline rushed for 123 yards and two scores, and more importantly, the Rockets committed no turnovers. You know, every team that we have is unique. Um, we had a lot of good football teams. Other teams were just a little bit better than us in those games. We made some mistakes today. We're almost mistake-free, and that's the key. Rapid River coach Steve Ostrenga. The Rockets also kept penalties to a minimum with six. You can read more about the eight-player football Football finals on the second half page of the MHSA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to the girls volleyball team at Bronson, which made it a four-peat at Kellogg Arena in Battle Creek Saturday, sweeping Unionville Seabowing in the Division Three title match. Coach Gene LeClaire's team becoming only the fourth school to make it four in a row. And the girls swimming and diving team at Rochester Adams claimed its first MHSAA title Saturday at Oakland University. Lisa Launder led the way by winning the 200 and 500 freestyle races and anchoring the winning 200 free relay team. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week at High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Our weekly Be the Referee feature takes a look at the fine art of officiating with Mark Ewell. Over the past decade, the biggest change in all sports at the collegiate and pro levels has been the expanded use of instant replay, or video review, relative to officiating decisions. At the high school level, video review was currently used in two sports, ice hockey and basketball. It's only used for the final two rounds of the tournament, the semifinals and finals, and is allowed in very limited circumstances. In ice hockey, video review can be used to determine whether or not a goal has been scored and if it was scored before time expired. And in basketball, as time expires in the fourth quarter or overtime, video can be used to determine if the shot has gotten off in time and if the try was a two-point or three-point attempt. Thanks, Mark. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSA website now to register. A right of the season is to be thankful for the many privileges we enjoy in life and in high school sports. And over the years, I've taken time in this space to detail the different folks and the different roles that help make educational sports possible and special. What I'd like everyone to do this Thanksgiving weekend is plan to take a few moments next week. Seek out one or two of those special people in your own neighborhood and say thank you to them. When we started the football playoff run last month, I was with our friends from Fox Sports Detroit up in Kent City to produce a first-round game there with Sagatuck. And this crew I've become close to over the years were so impressed with all of the people from both communities that took the time to seek them out and say, thank you for coming to this game. Thank you for highlighting our little towns. They don't see that every day around the hardened and over-entitled coaches and players in college and professional ball. To them, it was refreshing and reaffirming. And it would be the same way if you went to some of your local behind-the-scenes heroes next week and just simply said, thank you. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're in studio with us as we wrap up our Wednesday afternoon. Feels like a Friday because we've got the holiday to look forward to tomorrow and then the weekend's here. Well, I mentioned before the break, we're going to break down the best quarterbacks in pro football. 
college football playoff ranking style. A top four, the next two, and everybody else after that. But first, a few other things that are making news before we get to that. With the retirement of Adrian Beltre yesterday, we are down to 10 professional athletes who made their debut in the 1990s, and they're still playing. Now, this encompasses the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and the NHL. Pro football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. Ten athletes who made their debut in the 1990s, and they're still active. And believe it or not, only two of them are NFL kickers. You would think that'd be the one where you'd get the most longevity. What surprises me about this list, two of them are kickers. Half of the list plays NHL hockey. Five out of the ten athletes who made their debut in the 90s that are still playing are hockey players. Zadino Chara, the mammoth that anchors the Boston Bruin defense. Matt Cullen, won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh, spent last year in Minnesota before returning to the Penguins. Roberto Luongo, netminder for the Florida Panthers. Patrick Marlowe from the Maple Leafs. And the San Jose Sharks' Joe Thornton, who made history last night by tying Mario Lemieux for 11th all-time in total NHL assists. Five of the ten professional athletes who debuted the 90s that are still playing, they play hockey, NHL hockey. Zadino Chara, Matt Cullen, Roberto Luongo, Patrick Marlowe, and Joe Thornton. The rest of the list, I mentioned only two of them are NFL kickers. It seems like that's where the most longevity would be. Mort Anderson certainly did it. Adam Vinatieri is doing it as well. You don't become the NFL's all-time leading scorer. By having a short career. Adam Vinatieri, the ageless wonder, continues to be a sniper. Kicker for the Indianapolis Colts. The other is Phil Dawson with the Arizona Cardinals. Name that a lot of people tend to forget about. He's a journeyman. And he's played a lot of football. Two of them are in the NBA. They shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki. And of course, the lone representative for the MLB on the list of professional athletes who debuted the 90s that are still active and playing. With Adrian Beltre gone, the only one left is Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon, the MLB free agent pitcher. A journeyman throughout. And he's still got it. He's still got it going. So with Adrian Beltre's retirement from professional baseball yesterday, 10 athletes left that debuted in the 90s. Still playing Bartolo Colon, Phil Dawson, Adam Vinatieri, Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki, Zadino Chara, Matt Cullen, Roberto Luongo, Patrick Marlowe, and Joe Thornton. The Ageless Wonder Club. Well, continuing on, how about Northern Michigan men's basketball? They defeated Ohio Dominican last night. They're up at the Hillsdale Invite, 89-74 to improve to 4-0 in the season. First time in 10 years that the Northern men's basketball team has started a season 4-0. Congratulations to Coach Saul and the guys, everything that they're accomplishing up there. They go for the second game of the Thanksgiving Classic up at Hillsdale today. Actually, they tipped off right about when we were starting this show. Northern takes on the host, Hillsdale, who comes in with a record of 3-1. and one. Meanwhile, a 4-1 and one start for the women's basketball squad. Hockey picked up a sweep over the weekend. They take on Lake Superior State Friday, Saturday, and then Tuesday head down to Notre Dame to take on the defending Big Ten champs as they go for a top-10 win against the Fighting Irish. All right, to finish off this Wednesday afternoon, let's do something fun. Let's take the top NFL quarterbacks, and if we had to put them in a ranking system similar to that of the four-team college football playoff, what would that look like? And honestly, it works better for NFL quarterbacks than it does for college football. College football, four teams, isn't enough. In the NFL, I think we can all come to a consensus that there are four quarterbacks who stand above all others. Now, I debated whether I should include their entire careers or what they've done strictly this season. And I decided to do a mix of both. Take what they've done throughout their entire careers, but give weight to their statistics from this season. So this year's stats mean more, but we're including everybody's career numbers and what they've produced. Can we all come to a consensus that the top four quarterbacks in the NFL right now 
are Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes. For me, if I were ranking pro football quarterbacks based on the college football playoff algorithm, those would be my final four. Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Mahomes. And Jared Goff is my Georgia of this ranking system. Jared Goff is just like Georgia. They're good enough to be one of those top four. And maybe they deserve to be up there. So the top five I'm pretty set in stone with. Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Goff, and Mahomes. And to fill out my top six, I'm going Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers, like his team, nobody is paying attention to the success that he is having. But Phillip Rivers is quietly one of the most productive quarterbacks in the NFL this year and throughout his career. So let's make the case for each of them. Patrick Mahomes leads the NFL in passing yards right now, 3,628. He also leads the NFL in passing touchdowns. It's not even close. He has 37. Next highest is Andrew Luck. He's got 29. You could be wondering where I put Andrew Luck in my list. He's top 10. He's top 10. He's coming back from injury. He's certainly going to be NFL Comeback Player of the Year this year. Starting to look like the Luck of old. But Luck in his prime still doesn't capture that top four. He's up there. He's top 10 right now. Now, people could say, why aren't you putting Jared Goff in the top four? He's second in NFL passing yards, 3,547. He's third in passing touchdowns with 26. Why doesn't he get a B in the top four? Well, I might put him in the top four if he'd only been with one NFL head coach. He did not have success under Jeff Fisher. Granted, a lot of guys don't. The Rams certainly didn't. With Sean McVay, Goff has looked like the epitome of a franchise quarterback. But that makes me wonder how much of that is on Jared Goff, and it's not on his coaching and Sean McVay. McVay's one of the smartest guys in the NFL, up-and-comer, does a wonderful job, and he will for a long time. That leaves a little bit of doubt, though, as far as what Jared Goff actually has to do with that offense. He's a great quarterback, make no mistake. And again, he's a solid five for me right now. He's the fifth-best NFL quarterback right now but he doesn't crack the top four because I don't know how good he is without an absolute genius coaching him and running his offense. Drew Brees has thrown 25 touchdown passes. That's fourth most in the NFL this season. He is looking like he's still in his mid-20s. He just doesn't seem to age. Yeah, he doesn't have the physical stature that you would think of a quarterback. I was concerned when they drafted him, when San Diego drafted him, if he'd even be able to see over an NFL offensive line. Breeze overcome the odds. He's won a Super Bowl. I believe that he is in the best position that he's ever been in his career to do it again. I think this year's team is better than the one that he won a Super Bowl with back in the day. Aaron Rodgers, 3,073 passing yards this season. Does that with little to no weapons, and he knows that going into every game, it's on him and the offense to score because his defense, while it's on the rise... It's far from complete. Phillip Rivers, I put him as number six. 23 passing touchdowns this year. That's tied for fifth in the NFL. Rivers has quietly gotten the Chargers to a 7-3 mark. That's good for the five seed in the AFC right now. That's where I believe they are going to finish six weeks from now when the regular season ends. I was tempted to put Ben Roethlisberger on the list. Roethlisberger and the Steelers obviously were off to a terrible start, and they've got some things figured out now, particularly the Le'Veon Bell situation. Roethlisberger is fourth in the league this year with 3,202 passing yards. Throughout his career, he has been a proven winner, and Pittsburgh is that franchise that has sustained a level of dominance and success that only Bilicek is able to boast. They're not the Patriots. They're not that dynasty. Make no mistake. But if there's any team that could compare to what New England has and their level of dominance in the last couple of decades, it would be Pittsburgh. And Ben Roethlisberger is largely a part of that. I thought about Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan came to mind. But to me, he's still, at best, at best, number seven, maybe eight. Ryan has 3,306 yards of passing this year. That's good for third in the NFL. But I hate to say this because I like Matty Ice. I believe the best years of his career are behind him. 
He had his shot to get a Super Bowl ring a couple of years ago, and his defense let him down, blew that 28-3 lead against New England. Ryan's not getting any younger, and the team's not getting any better around him. And he's putting up great numbers. If Atlanta had a defense, it's scary to think what they would look like this year. But I'm sorry to say, Matt Ryan's best days of football are behind him. A similar situation with Eli Manning, a guy who's done so much throughout his career. For me, and my list, taking an entire career into account with the stats from this season, having more weight than previous years, Eli Manning's won two Super Bowls. He's ninth in the NFL in passing yards this year with 2,796. He's starting to figure it out this season, putting up much better numbers, and his line's starting to figure it out too. For me, Eli's going to hover right around the bottom of the top 10. And there are guys out there listening, I'm sure, that hear that and they think, you would take Eli Manning over Cam Newton. You think Eli Manning's a better quarterback than Cam Newton. Well, Eli's got two Super Bowl rings. Cam has none. Eli's passed for 400 more yards than Newton has this season. Super Bowl rings. And that's why Tom Brady, despite having a down year by his standards... It's still got to be one of the top four best NFL quarterbacks. Because he keeps winning, and he maintains that level of success. He's 11th this season in passing yards, 15th in passing touchdowns. None of those numbers are eye-popping, but he wins ball games, And that's what it's going to come down to. You don't need the flashy quarterback who's going to give you excellent numbers and win player of the year. You need the guy that's going to help you win ball games, And Tom Brady has been doing that for almost two decades and he's doing it again this season. Well, that's it for us. We're out of time on this Wednesday afternoon. Hope you enjoyed the show today as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget that we are off tomorrow for the holiday. We're coming back at you on Friday, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Until then, signing off from ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for listening to ESPN-UP.